The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you again. I missed you since last week, and I hope you missed me. I want to start by um, saying again, if you want to talk to me on the air, here's the phone number, 888-346-9141. Once more, 888-346-9141. If you've got anything to say about what I'm talking about, I would love to hear your comments. So tonight we're going to talk about something that people feel but don't really know how to talk about. And that is when a celebrity dies, a superstar, whether it's um, stage, screen, television, or sports, or whatever it is, And we didn't know them personally, and yet we mourned them. We mourned their death in all kinds of interesting ways, and you know what I mean. So I'd like to share some information with you uh, in the light of, during the past week, um, Prince, who everybody called a superstar, Musician Prince died. Now, I'm going to make a confession on the air. I have no idea who Prince was. None. Never heard him. Never read about him. Never saw him on television. He was not on NCIS, so I don't see him. So He's not on the other shows that I watch, so... And I don't listen to music shows. But he was apparently somebody who was very, very important to a whole lot of people who loved his music and thereby loved him. And then he died. Lots of people went to pieces. They didn't know what to do. So I'm going to read you a little bit from his um his um, obituary from one of the newspapers that I follow. And then we're going to talk about some of the details that we learned. Music superstar Prince's autopsy found the painkiller Percocet 
in his system. The Minneapolis Star Tribune reported on Thursday. Prince also had a dangerously low red blood cell count, indicating he had been ill. Citing two, the station said, citing two unnamed law enforcement officials. You know, it's interesting, Mel Glazer says, nobody wants to go on record. God forbid. Everybody, nobody ever commits murder. They allegedly commit murder. And I'm not authorized to give this information that I'm going to give you. It's crazy. But, all right. A spokeswoman for the local medical examiner's office that conducted a post-mortem examination of Prince declined to confirm the reports. Glazer says, why did she decline to confirm the reports? Isn't that her job? To do autopsies and to tell the world what happened? Well, okay. The news reports came after federal authorities said on Wednesday they were joining the investigation into Prince's death. The DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and U.S. Attorney's Office in Minnesota will bring federal resources to the local investigation and add expertise on the illegal use and trafficking of prescription drugs, the U.S. Attorney's Office said. So I say, here we are, we have this musical superstar named Prince, or whatever he used to be called, but when he died he was called Prince. And all of a sudden, you know, he dies of drug overdose, painkiller, Percocet. Well, most of us have taken Percocet. When you go in the hospital for an operation, you come home, and you hurt. And so the doctor gives you Percocet or some other painkiller, and, and too many people become addicted to it. Well, Prince, unfortunately, was one of them. We continue. Also on Wednesday, a lawyer for a California addiction doctor said Prince's representatives had contacted the doctor the evening before his death, adding that the doctor had planned to visit Prince for a quote-unquote life-saving mission. The 57-year-old Prince was found dead on April 21st at his home study in Paisley Park in a Minneapolis suburb. It's prescription opioid, that's opium, you know what that is. Medication was found at the scene. A law enforcement source told Reuters News. Dr. Howard Kornfeld, who runs Recovery Without Walls, a clinic in Mill Valley, California. Well, of course, it's in California. Where else would it be? Planned to fly to Minnesota on April 22nd, his lawyer said. In the meantime, his son, Andrew Kornfeld, a clinic staff member, traveled to Minnesota for an initial discussion. 
When Andrew Kornfeld arrived at Paisley Park, Prince was not available. A staff member found the artist unconscious in an elevator, and Kornfeld called 911. And that's the story, my good friends, about how Prince died. And when he died, people put up memorials all over the country. Teenagers were freaking out. Millennials were freaking out. Old people like me have no idea who he was. So we just went on with our lives. But that's not the issue. The issue is a lot of Americans mourn the death of Prince whom they did not know. So I want to talk about that a little bit and ask the question, why do you mourn the death of someone that you do not know? Later on, I'm going to talk about Steve Jobs and President Ronald Reagan and, and, and maybe some other people. Uh, but the question remains a question. Why are we so upset? When somebody who's a star in whatever field he or she is, and we did not know them, dies. Well, the simple answer is, we didn't know them personally, but we knew them from the stage, screen, television, books. We knew them. We felt like they were part of the family. And we thought, we wanted to believe that they would live forever. And they would continue to entertain us in whatever fashion they did forever. And they weren't going to die young. If they were going to die, they would die old, but not young. So this is an issue of serious grief. It's not just that he died. It's just that our notion that superstars are going to live forever died with him. And we have to grieve that notion as well as we grieve Prince's death. Because our heads, which are not broken when somebody dies, our heads know that people die before they turn 95 or so. But our hearts, which is where we live, know differently. Our hearts feel the pain of somebody's death. So when Prince died, lots of Americans felt that a member of the family had died. And they mourned him just like they mourned the death of members of their families. Okay, I get it. I understand it. But we have to stop thinking like that. We have to lay that notion down that performers are going to live forever. You know, I've, I've said probably several times that one of the things that I like to watch on TV the most, and you're going to laugh, is quote-unquote professional wrestling. That's right. 
from Gorgeous George to John Cena and everybody in between. I love to watch professional wrestling. I know it's a fake. I know there's a script to every match. I know that the two guys know who's going to win. I know that when the when time is up for the match, the referee gives them a signal, and whoever's supposed to get pinned gets pinned. I understand that. My head is not broken. But my heart, when a wrestler dies that I was in love with, that was one of my favorites, I grieve the loss of that wrestler. Even though my heart, my head knows it's just a game, still, you get tossed out of the ring, my friends, it hurts. You get a chair over your head, you don't feel so good. So I don't care what anybody says. I will always love professional wrestling. So does my son, who's also a rabbi in Memphis. They got a lot of wrestling in Memphis, Tennessee. Jerry Lawler, uh, who was a wonderful wrestler, is in charge of the wrestling kingdom in Memphis. So I have to grieve the notion that wrestlers die because of the pain that's inflicted on their bodies. I understand that. It ought to be just a show. I ought to turn on the TV and just watch guys beat each other up. What I really think, and which I really believe, is that it's not just a wrestling match. It's a story of good and evil. So you got the good guy and you got the bad guy. One of them's going to lose. I hope the good guy wins. So if the good guy wins, I cheer, I'm happy, I'm, you know, I go get something to eat during the break. Well, what if the bad guy wins? So I say, oh, well, maybe next time, you know, the good guy will win. Now. You may think that's childish, and I would agree with you, but I don't care because I love wrestling. So when Prince died, everybody knows it's the 100% chance that everybody is going to die. And his time came last week. The reasons are really irrelevant. He had been sick. He, had, he was filled with pain. And so he took drugs to get rid of the pain. His problem, as is the problem of so many other performers, is that he became addicted to those drugs. What do I learn from this? Don't pay so much attention to superstars. They're just human like we are. And unfortunately, or fortunately, with all the media coverage they get, we see how human they are. We see that they have vices. We see that they make mistakes. We see that they say things they shouldn't say. What do you know? They're just like us. Which brings me to the real crux of the issue, and that is, 
we have to grieve the notion that we're going to live for till long, long age, an old age. We have to grieve that notion because we have no idea how long we're going to live. When a good Lord is ready to take me, when a good Lord decides that he can, he has, you know, compassion on you and he doesn't want you to suffer with me anymore. So the good Lord's going to take me. I'm not afraid of dying. I don't want to die. Nobody wants to be die, to, to die. I'm not done with my life yet. I still have lots of shows that I want to do. I have more books that I want to write. I want to do lecture tours across the country and teach people what I know about grief and healing. So I'm not ready to go yet. But you know what? The bus could hit me tomorrow. I could be in an automobile accident, and that could be that. So I have to live day by day, each day at a time. I have no idea what is going to happen tomorrow. None. I could die tomorrow. I could live tomorrow. I do not know, and neither do you. So we have to take a deep breath and remember that when anybody, a superstar, or we die at what we would call an early age, it's really not an early age. It's when God says, it's your time to die. So, uh, I guess in this first part of the show, I've really revealed to myself as well as to you, we have work to do. We have to stop thinking that we're going to live forever. We have to stop thinking that our video and radio and TV heroes and sports heroes are going to live forever. You know what? We don't know. We'll talk some more right after the break. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You 
are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi there, we're back. So, we were just talking about the death of the musical star Prince. And, and all the reactions in America to his death. And I try to say that we have to take a deep breath, take two steps back, and grieve the notion that stars, just because they're stars, are going to live to a ripe old age. Some may, some may not. We don't know. It's not up to us. It's up to their bodies. It's up to God. It's, it's, it's up to whoever it's up to. People die when they're supposed to die. There are accidents. That's true. We could talk about 9-11 plenty. I could do three hours on 9-11. You know, I could ask the question. There are a lot of good guys who died on 9-11, 3,000 Americans died 9-11. So if I believe in a God who is good and who takes care of the world, then why did a good God let 3,000 innocent people die? And why did God let the pilots crash into the buildings that they crashed into? I can ask that question. Except I have no answer except for this. That's not the kind of God I believe in. I do not believe in a God that controls everything that happens to me, you, anybody else, or the world. In a sense, what I believe is that God created the world, however you understand that. And God then left us alone gave us free will, and left us alone. And God said something like, may the force be with you. I will be thinking about you. When you die, I will cry. But I am out of the ball game. I'm not in control anymore. And so bad things happen to good people and bad people because they do. You know, when Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote his famous book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. So lots of people thought that he was really writing a book entitled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. So I was once at a rabbinical conference with Rabbi Kushner, who's my colleague and friend. We were ordained at the same seminary. And somebody asked him a question. Why didn't you call the book Why Bad Things Happen to Good People? And his answer was the following. If I called the book Why Bad Things, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? It would have had only three words in the book. And the book would have said, Because They Do. Now, he knew what he was talking about because his own son died at the age of 14 of progeria, which is old age. 
And we have pictures uh, of his son's bar mitzvah when his son was 13 years old and his son had long straggly hair and he looked like an old man, but he was only 13 years old. So by the way, you should know that when this happened, Rabbi Harold Kushner, one of the greatest rabbis in our, in our country today, one of the most sensitive and empathic rabbis, because he went through grief and he got to healing, and now he helps everybody else do the same. So he said, I'm done with God. I am done with God. Because if this is what a good God does, I'm through with him. I don't need him. I'm not interested in him anymore. I'm breaking off relationships with this God. Well, that didn't last more than maybe four or five months when Harold Kushner realized that that's not who God is. And so Harold Kushner wrote the book and talked about changing his belief in God to what I said before. God is not in control. God gives us free will and gives nature free will. That's why hurricanes and floods happen and fires. It's not because God makes them happen, it's because they happen. Where I live in Colorado Springs, we have been the victims in the last several years of terrible flooding and fires. It's not God's doing. God had nothing to do with it. If you want to look for God, God was in the, in the feet and the hands and the hearts of those volunteers and those first responders who put the fires out, took care of people who were sinking in the muddy water and kept them from death. That's where God was. So that's what we talked about uh, in the first segment of the show um, about Prince and about our feelings that have to be grieved that that superstar is going to live a long time. All right. I want to talk a little bit about President Ronald Reagan. He was one of my favorites. Now, just an aside, it's very interesting. One of the most popular presidents in modern day times was an actor. I think that's hilarious. And you know why, because you know who's running for president now, and you know why I say what I say, why I love President Reagan, because he was an actor. So let me read you a little bit. He was born on February 6, 1911. He was nicknamed Dutch as a youngster, he was born and raised in several small towns in Illinois. Despite a disadvantaged upbringing, his father abused alcohol and had trouble holding jobs. Reagan was a popular and outgoing student. He served as president of his high school student council, stood out at football, basketball, and track, as well as acting in several plays. During the summer, he worked as a lifeguard, reportedly saving 77 people over six 
years. Then after high school, he went to college at Eureka College, a small Christian liberal arts school in Eureka, Illinois. And he continued to show athletic prowess, but he really got interested in acting. And so he um, went to Los Angeles for a screen test. And he was a radio announcer. And he also went to Los Angeles to cover the Cubs, Chicago Cubs. You remember them. They still play baseball. They don't win very much, but they, they do their best. So he went to Los Angeles to cover the Cubs spring training camp. Warner Brothers offered him a seven-year contract, but asked him to use his given name Ronald instead of Dutch in the movies. So although he never became an A-list star, Reagan spent 20 years in Hollywood and appeared in more than 50 films. His oft-used nickname as President the Gipper came from his turn playing Notre Dame football star George the Gipper Gip in the 1940 film Newt Rockney, All-American. In 1940, Reagan married actress Jane Wyman, they had two children, Maureen and Michael, whom they adopted. They got divorced in 1949. He did not serve combat duty in World War II because of his poor eyesight. But he did begin active duty in 1942 and made training films for the military till his discharge in 1945. Later, a couple of years later in 47, when I was born, he testified to the controversial House Un-American Activities Committee, naming elements in Hollywood that he felt were allied with communist causes. Later that year, he was elected president of Screen Actors Guild, a position he held from 47 to 52, and again from 59 to 60. Then he met Nancy, Davis, an actress who looked to Reagan for help when she was incorrectly labeled a communist sympathizer. As he had done for others, Ronald Reagan assisted her in clearing her name. They also began a long, long, lifelong romance. They were married in 1952. Their two children, Patricia and Ronald, were born in 53 and 59. And then the article talks about some political stuff about how he voted and he decided to run for California and he won despite his lack of experience. Why, I say, Glazer says, because he was an actor, because he could pretend, because he could read a script and he could act as if it was really him. Well, it's very cynical of me to say that the best presidents and the best leaders are actors, but you know what? I'm an actor too, in a way, I'm a rabbi. Do you think that every week my heart is really in the words I say? Don't ask your minister, please God, do not ask your minister if he's, if he's mailing it in sometimes, because you'll get the answer, yes, he is. 
we do this week in, week, week out. You know, preaching is tough. So sometimes you have to pretend you have to be an actor like Ronald Reagan. You say the words, he puts some meaning into them. Sometimes they come out better and sometimes not. Anyway, he ran for president. At age 69, he became the oldest man to be elected to the office. He was a practiced public speaker, so you know what that means. He could give speeches from the Oval Office. He had personal charm, warm manner, and optimistic messages, and all that endeared him to many Americans. He was re-elected by a landslide in 1984. And then just 69 days after taking office, Ronald Reagan was shot by John Hinckley after giving a speech at a hotel near the White House. After surgery to remove the bullet, which had lodged near his heart, he recovered quickly, which added to his image as a strong leader. Throughout his two terms, oh, well, I won't read that. We don't need to know that. Um, so he was a good guy, right? He's a really good guy. He did good things. His foreign policy included military interventions, Lebanon, Grenada, Libya. Uh, he's known for backing anti-communist rebels in Nicaragua and secret CIA, military operations, all that. So um, George H.W. Bush succeeded Reagan to the presidency in 19. 19- 88. But Reagan was known as the great communicator. He left the Oval Office as one of the most popular presidents in history, retiring to his much-loved California ranch, Rancho del Cielo. His announcement in 1994, now this is where it gets interesting, his announcement in his announcement in 1994 that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's was greeted with great sadness by many across the country. He wrote in an open letter to the American people, and he said, I now begin the journey that will lead me into the sunset of my life. I know that for America, there will always be a bright dawn ahead. He lived out the rest of his days on his ranch with his wife, Nancy, who remained devoted to him by the end, she was always at his side. And he was buried at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. Now, he was a star, but nobody knew him. You didn't know him. I didn't know him. But I was truly, truly saddened when he died. One, because he was a great president. He had personality. He was filled with hope. He always had hopeful messages. And he took care of business, took care of America, made sure that Americans were doing as good as he could make them, us. And he took whatever steps he could to make this a better society. And then he got Alzheimer's. And my heart went out to him and to Nancy. Through it all, 
Uh, you know, the beginning of Alzheimer's, you recognize people, uh, you know who they are, and then you stop being able to recognize people. And you start to walk around and you don't even know who you are. And who knows if he knew who Nancy was at the end or who his kids were at the end. That gave, but he had such strength. He had such strength. He's one of my all-time heroes. You know, I hope I never get Alzheimer's. I hope you never get Alzheimer's. I hope your parents and family members never get Alzheimer's. But if they do, we've got to be strong. And we've got to, again, grieve the notion that you're going to end up okay. He never thought he was going to die from Alzheimer's. He thought he was going to get older and just die a natural death. That's what we think about ourselves. Well, please God, it'll happen. But we don't know. We could get Alzheimer's. I just hope that if I am cursed with Alzheimer's, it's peaceful. I want my life to be peaceful. I don't want to suffer. I don't want, to, I don't want pain. I don't want to hurt and ache and, and, and go through all that. He didn't. And I don't want to either. So I'm ready to, you know, let the notion that I'm going to live to 100 go. Because I don't know how long I'm going to live. No one does. But Ronald Reagan was my hero in lots of ways. He had hope. He looked toward the future. And he looked forward toward the future. Because he always believed that the future would be better than the past. That's a president that I could love. We haven't had a president like that in a while. It's really too bad. So he was my hero. I loved him. And he inspired me, not only through his life, but even through his Alzheimer's. We'll talk some more after the next break. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com.
Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi. Let me repeat what the announcer just said. Um, it, my, my site is called GriefOK.com. If you want to send me an email, make a comment about tonight's show or give me a suggestion about what interests you and what you would like me to talk about in the future. It's Rabbi Mel, Rabbi Mel, R-A-B-B-I-M-E-L, at griefok.com. Send me an email. I'll get back to you. And uh, we'll be in touch and we'll start to get to know each other. And again, if you want to call me and talk to me uh, while I'm on um, the show, the number is 888-346-9141. Okay, we've talked about Prince. We've talked about President Ronald Reagan and how they taught us different kinds of lessons, and how they freed us from thinking things that we were brought up thinking. Now I'm going to read you a story. It's late at night in the editorial office of a major metropolitan newspaper. The office near the top of a high-rise building is nearly deserted. There are only a few lights on. It's very quiet, except for the clacking of a single computer keyboard. A lone reporter sits in his cubicle, putting the finishing touches on his latest assignment. In a pause-to-think moment, he stops typing. Sitting quietly, he hears the sound of a woman crying. He gets up from his desk and follows the sound trail like an emotional bird dog. In the darkened corner of the room, he sees a woman slumped over a desk, sobbing into her crossed arms. He realizes She's one of the cleaning crew who come in like gnomes in the night and whisk away the day's debris along with yesterday's news. He had been so quiet that she does not hear him approach. He stands still for a few moments, unsure of how or whether to proceed. He wrestles momentarily when the decision to leave her to whether the decision to leave her in private and let her cry or to speak to her. He decides to talk to her. Quietly, he says, excuse me. She jerks her head up to peer at him in the half light. Shocked and embarrassed, she says, sorry, senor, with more than a hint of a Spanish accent. 
He said, she says a few more words in very broken English, trying to excuse herself, then laughs entirely into Spanish. She is clearly afraid that she'd be re reported and fired. As fate would have it, the reporter is himself of Mexican heritage and speaks Spanish. He calms her down as best he can, assuring her here that he will tell no one of her unauthorized break. After she relaxes a bit, he asks her what has made her so sad. All in Spanish now, she tells him that she's crying because Michael Landon died. As you might imagine, her answer takes him by surprise. She has no way to understand the profound emotional connection between this woman and the TV star who had just died the day before. So he asks her gently, did you know Senor Landon? No, no, but he was like a father for my children, she says. Oh, had he visit them, visited them at school? The reporter asks. Oh, no, you see, I have three young children. My husband, their father, died two years ago in an accident. Since then, we have struggled to keep our hearts and finances together. I work cleaning houses in the daytime. Sometimes it's an untimely death. Well, never mind that. I'll keep reading. At the end of the day, I go home, take care of my children, and get them to bed. And then I come to work here cleaning the building just so we can have enough money for food and rent and clothes. It's very hard to make up for the money that my husband used to make. I don't speak English very well, so I can only clean. She pauses to wipe away the tears that accompany her story. In the short time I have been with my children after dinner, we sit down in front of the TV and watch reruns of Highway to Heaven. Mr. Michael Landon's character on that show had become a kind of father figure and role model for my children. They barely remember their papa because they were so young when he died. They desperately need someone to look up to. When I heard that Michael Landon was very sick, I was afraid to tell my children. I didn't want them to worry, but now that he has died and I have to tell them, I'm so afraid of how they will react when they find out. And she bursts into tears. The reporter reaches out and wraps his arms around her and she sobs and sobs. He just holds her in rock, saying nothing, realizing the words would have little meaning at that point. That's a true story. That young reporter was profoundly affected by the events of that night. He knew he wanted to write about it, but before approaching his editor, he wanted to find out more about grief and what he might be able to do to help that woman and her family. He called the Grief Recovery Institute and talked for a long time about the various ways the deaths of celebrities affect so many people. Grief Recovery Institute. They gave me my beginning training as a grief guy. And I want you to go to their website, Grief Recovery Institute. They got blogs on every kind of grief there ever was. They're brilliant and loving and caring. So, the reporter called the Grief Recovery Institute, 
They talked to him about one specific question that had been part of his interaction with that woman. If you recall, he had asked her, did you know Senor Landon? Well, the technical answer is that she had never met Michael Landon. The emotionally accurate answer is that she and her children knew him and his TV character very well. They just never met him in person. And like most people, they never written a fan letter to tell him what he meant to them. Although it's unlikely that they would ever have met him or spent time with him. His death robbed them of the hope of someday meeting this wonderful man who had been their surrogate husband and father. Unresolved grief is about undelivered communications of an emotional nature. They felt for him, but they never got to tell him. The communications were undelivered. The death of someone we admire from afar can provoke a wellspring of emotions. Think about the outpouring of emotion when Diana, the Princess of Wales, died. She was one of those public figures who had captured the emotional fantasy of millions of people around the globe. It's easy to imagine the number of people who would have loved to meet her, spend time with her, and just get to know her a little. Sometimes it's an untimely death, as befell John Ritter, or the death of an elder celebrity statesman like Bob Hope, who lived to be more than a hundred. In either case, it's normal and natural that many people will feel robbed of meeting and communicating their respect, admiration, and affection. The deaths of public figures generate tremendous understandable emotions in those of us who love them, whether we knew them personally or not. We felt like we did. Glazer says, when I watch TV, I feel like I know these people. No, they're not related to me. No, I'll, I'll never meet Madam Secretary, but I think I know her, and I respect her, and I love her, and that's the way it is. Okay, so when I watch Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, I don't know these men and women, but they perform miracles and they save human lives. When, the de when death ends the physical aspect of a relationship, there are inevitably unrealized hopes, dreams, and expectations about the future. This is clearly true about the people who have been a direct part of our lives. But it also affects us when someone famous dies. The cleaning woman and her children truly knew Michael Landon. They just never got to meet him and tell him what he meant to them. With the guidance of the Grief Recovery Institute, the reporter was able to encourage the woman to help her children write a completion letter to Michael Landon, 
telling them how they felt about it. That letter, like the thousands written by others who loved Michael, helped that family complete some of their grief about the death of a man who had been so important in their lives. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is, if you really love somebody on television, let's say, you should let them know. Because everybody needs to be appreciated. And so like the Grief Recovery Institute, which you should go to on the web, Grief Recovery Institute dot something. I don't know what it is. I study with them. If you think I'm a good teacher, you can thank them. If you never want to listen to me again, you can blame them. I love them. They're my friends and my mentors and my teachers, and they taught me what I know about grief. Everything that I learned from them, I try to teach you. But what I'm trying to say is, let's say that you fall in love, you and your family, you fall in love with somebody on TV. Well, one of these days, they're either going to leave the show or they're going to die. So I don't want you to wait until that happens. I don't want you to wait until that happens because you really never know when that's going to happen. So I want you as a family or I want your kids, you know, if, if they really feel for somebody who they they think they know emotionally, even though they don't know personally, I want you to encourage your kids and you to sit down and write a letter. Don't send an email. Please, God, don't send an email. They're not going to read it. Don't send a tweet. They get hundreds of thousands of, of Facebook messages and emails and tweets and all that. They don't need that. What they need are personal letters. You remember personal letters, don't you? Your third grade teacher taught you how to write personal letters. The problem is that our kids today don't know what a personal letter is. And they all are equipped with their, you know, with their computers. So the last thing I want to say before we, we have to go is that grieving somebody that you do not know is a lot like grieving somebody that you do know. And you have to say goodbye. And you have to thank them. And you can't wait too long. Because, as I've been saying for the last hour, we have no idea who's going to live how long. So our job, our mission, our challenge is to let them know how much we care about them. I care about you. I'll be back next time. And we'll be together again. Thanks so much for listening.
Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.